So um, for the next few minutes, thank you, William. <clears throat> I'm going to talk to you, I think, um, from the subject, When God Came. Because the kingdom comes exactly the same way that the king came. The kingdom comes like the king came. And how did he come? First, I want to tell you uh, a joke. Some of you have heard it. <laughs> if you've heard it, don't give it away. One, one night, a Viking named Rudolph the Red was looking out the window when he said to his wife, Wife, it's going to rain. No, I think it's going to snow, she said. No, it's going to rain. I really do think it's going to snow. He said, wife, this is the end of the story. It's going to rain. And she said, how do you know? And he said, because Rudolph the Red knows rain, dear. <laughs> boo, boo. That's so bad. <laughs> you liked it, Zach? Zach, thanks. The Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. I'm just going to try to traipse through my notes real quick and read some scripture, and then I know it's I know it's late, and we'll be out of here by three. Don't even worry about it. As the old song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Life began in a garden in a paradise where God walked and talked with man, the man that He had formed, and the man into whom He breathed His own breath. The moment the man received his breath, he was like God. He thought like God. He spoke with the Father's authority. He daily communed with his creator. There was no separation. And the first man was created in his image and after his likeness. Now we all know that a lie, a deception, caused man to fall away from perfect communion with the Father and ultimately drove the man from the presence of God. From that time and for thousands of years, mankind searched for a way to return to the garden of God. Not just a literal garden, but a place where abundant life flourishes. A place of communion with the Father. And throughout the ages, there were signs that pointed to God and to the hope of His coming, yet no one saw Him perfectly, and no one could find the way. Instead, prophets, priests, and even kings saw only glimpses of the coming king and the coming day and the coming kingdom. A day when God would return to them and they would return to him. But how? If God were to come, what would his coming look like? If God were to come, would he appear in glory and overthrow worldly systems of oppression? And would he do it by force? Would he come and choose sides? How would God come? And what would this glorious reunion, God and man, look like? The season to celebrate Jesus' coming is upon us. It's Advent. Advent is literally just the Latin word, which means coming. We celebrate 24 days leading up to December 25th, culminating on December 24th. We know that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. We don't celebrate what day he came, we celebrate the fact that he did come. And yes, I know that it coincides with winter solstice, and that's, that's perfectly fine. I don't care about winter solstice. What I care about is that the sun came. 
Luke chapter 2 from the Passion Translation says this. During those days, the Roman emperor, Caesar, ordered that the first census be taken throughout his empire. Quirinius was the governor of Syria at the time. Everyone had to travel to his or her hometown to complete the mandatory census. So Joseph and his fiancée Mary left Nazareth, a village in Galilee, and journeyed to their hometown in Judea, to the village of Bethlehem, King David's ancient home. They were required to register there since they both were direct descendants of David. Mary was pregnant and nearly ready to give birth. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor, and there she gave birth to her firstborn son. After wrapping the newborn baby in strips of cloth, they laid him in a feeding trough, since there was no available space in any upper room in the village. That night, in, an, in a field near Bethlehem, there were shepherds watching over their flocks, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared. How did he appear? And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with the blazing glory of God, and the shepherds were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard. The King James says, I've come to bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to some people. Which will be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Here's how the, the Passion reads it. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him by this miraculous sign. I love this. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. An angel thought it was pertinent to make the point, this is the sign. And he was talking to shepherds. And he said, you'll find the baby in a feeding trough. Then it, uh, We'll get back to that. Then all at once a vast number of glorious angels. The Bible calls, uh, the King James says, the heavenly host. The very armies of heaven. And they all praise God singing. Glory to God in the highest realms of heaven. For there is peace and a good hope given to the sons of men. We know that the King James says, And suddenly there was with the angel a heavenly host of God, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Toward men. That's the posture of Father. Toward men. And when the choir of angels disappeared back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go, let's hurry to find this word that is born in Bethlehem, and see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. So they ran into the village and found uh, their way to Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a feeding trough, the Lamb of God. The shepherds see the Lamb lying in the feeding trough. Upon seeing this miraculous sign, the shepherds recounted what had just happened, and everyone who heard the shepherd's story was astonished by what they were told. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart, <clears throat> excuse me, and often pondered what they meant. The shepherds returned to their flock ecstatic over what had happened. They praised God and glorified Him for all they heard and seen for themselves, just like the angel had said. A baby lying in a feeding trough where animals were kept nearby, wrapped in strips of cloths, became a sign of the man-savior's life on earth. He entered the world as a lowly baby, and though He is mighty God, He lived His life on earth in gentleness before all. This is from the Vines. The shepherds that night were possibly near Bethlehem at a place called the Watchtower of the Flock, 
which would fulfill the prophecies of Micah 5.2 and Micah 4.8, which say, to you he will come, your dominion or kingdom from old will arrive. It was at the lower floor of the watchtower that the birthing of the Passover lambs, listen, would take place. Selected ewes, selected lambs that were about to give birth would be brought there. And after the birth of the lambs, the priestly shepherds would wrap the baby lambs in cloth and lay them in a manger lined with soft hay to prevent them from hurting themselves. For Passover lambs must be unblemished with no bruise or broken bone. The miracle sign for the priestly shepherds would be a baby boy lying where the Passover lamb should have been. In a manger wrapped in strips of cloth, it was at the cradle of Jesus Christ himself that the kingdom from ancient times arrived on earth. God was born in a cave, and as a footnote, he was also born again in a cave. Fully God and fully man. Conceived by the Spirit and yet born of a woman. This is the way God would be reunited with his creation. A new heaven and a new earth. A second Adam, a baby's birth. This time the man was not created from dust, but birthed. A baby in a feeding trough, a sign that God had come. Jesus was and is the answer to the question, how do we get back to God? And when we get there, what does he look like? Those answers about God's face and his voice were lost in Adam but were revealed in Christ. Hmm. Jesus is what God looks like. Jesus is what God sounds like. The baby, the marriage of the temporal with the divine, two worlds colliding. Listen, his birth forever merged time with eternity. Now think about this. If, if we read the Bible... Flatly, this is not original to me, but this is truth, and you need to hear it. If you read the, a flat rendering of the Bible, you would say that any part of the Bible is just as true as every other part of the Bible, and that's not necessarily the case. Do I believe that the Bible is true? I believe Jesus is truth, and I believe the Bible is written to re about Jesus. But the Bible does not reveal God. Jesus reveals God. Listen to me, don't, before you shut me down, let me make my complete point. Jesus would say stuff like this. You have heard them say in, in, in old times, he would reference Moses, for instance, an eye for an eye. But I say unto you, he directly conflicts what the Old Testament said. But I say unto you, if a man smite you on one cheek, turn to him also your other. How many times did Jesus say, you've heard it said by them of old times, but I say. Now listen to me, is Jesus in, is he in conflict with the Bible? No, here's what happens. Throughout the ages, men wanted to get back to where Adam was. They wanted to get back to God. They wanted to see what he looked like. They knew what the story was. Moses had written it. They knew that, that God had walked with man, that he communed with man, that man walked with his voice and spoke with his authority, and they longed to be back in his presence. And, and for years, for millennia even, prophets and priests and kings saw but glimpses of God. But no one saw him perfectly because you couldn't see God and live. No man has seen God and lived. That's what the Bible says. Your Bible. And so what happens is we see the Bible as this, as this coming to terms with and coming to an understanding that we really don't know what he looks like. 
We really don't know what God sounds like. We know what the prophets say, but I mean, you've got Elijah in the Old Testament calling fire down from heaven and killing a bunch of people. In the New Testament, Jesus' disciples say to him, should we call fire down out of heaven? And Jesus said, boys, you don't know what spirit you're of. Everybody okay? Man, I don't know if you're thinking real hard. If you're wondering who's getting to the door first, or, you, or you're good. You're listening? Okay, good. That's what I think too. They didn't know what he looked like. Moses had no clue what God looked like. He saw the hinder parts of God. That's how he was able to write things that happened before he got into creation. Before Moses was ever born. How did he write Genesis? Because the, God told him, he said, I'll put you in the cleft in a rock. No man can look at me and live, but I'll cause my, all my goodness to pass before you. He asked to see his glory. Instead, God said, I'll cause my goodness to pass before you. And the Bible says that Moses saw the hinder parts of God. He saw everything that had happened up until his life. And that's why he wrote Genesis. And yet he didn't know what God looked like. And David didn't know what God looked like. And Samson didn't know what God looked like. And Samuel didn't know what God looked like. And, and Joshua didn't know what God looked like. In fact, no one knew what God looked like until a little virgin girl that nobody had ever heard her name. And a, and a man that tried to put her away and decided I might as well stay since the angel woke me up in my own bed and said, this is really the Holy Spirit. It's okay to stay with her. And they looked down and said, huh. That's what God looks like. We thought he was going to come on a white horse, a mighty conquering warrior, and he was going to overthrow this Roman occupation and, and rise up and be the king of the Jews. And they really liked saying king of the Jews because that excluded everybody that wasn't Jewish. There were Jews and there were Gentiles, and he's our king. We get to claim him. And he didn't look anything like that. He didn't come in a palace. He's literally laying in a, in a, in a feeding trough. And the question that had been asked for thousands of years, what did God sound like? You know what God sounds like? Wah. Wah. This little infant, this little eight or nine pound baby. That's what God looked like and that's what he sounded like. In fact, the angels peered over heaven and said, oh, that's what he looks like. And from the moment that, his, that he was birthed from his mother's womb, eternity has been married to time. A whole lot of places today you're going to hear, if you live good and do good and get saved, you get a, get, you get a big house in a kingdom floating out in the Milky Way somewhere. And the, you can't find that in the Gospels. Here's what Jesus wanted to do. He wanted to restore perfect communion with the Father. Now, I know the scripture that popped in here, in my Father's house are all many mansions. I'd like to reiterate, he didn't say are, are going to be, he said are many mansions. And then he says, I'll go there to prepare you a place. Specifically, you're the place he's preparing. For what? You're his residence. You're the mansion God wants to live in. It's not your mansion. You are the mansion. He's the one that gets to live in it. I go there to prepare you a place that where I am, there you may be also. Man, this year, I'm going to tell you a real quick story. Before, before um, football and Thanksgiving, because I'm older now, I know most of you probably think I'm just barely 30, but I'm a little bit older. Uh <laughs> When I turned 41, we played football. And you know what happened? I went out there and played, did great, until about 45 minutes in, and I pulled whatever my hamstring. And I walked like this for months. And I didn't move, and I couldn't play basketball. You know why? Because I didn't stretch. 
This year when we played Thanksgiving football, man, I stretched and twisted and stretched and turned and stretched. And st- I probably stretched for about 35 minutes. How many of you can, can relate to you got to stretch for your day to get started? Anybody? You know, ma'am, you know what it's like to have to stretch? Unfortunately, now I know what it's like to have to stretch. I know the importance of stretching. But if I stretch my, if I stretch my muscles, then my muscles don't tear whenever I got to do what I got to do. I'm trying to stretch you this morning. I want to stretch you a little bit. I want you, to, I want you, to, I want you to, to think that there may be a possibility that I don't know everything. I know a couple of you do. You've made it clear to me. Just kidding, that's a joke. Yeah, but no, we don't, we don't. Jesus didn't come to give us a house in the sky. Jesus came to restore communion with the Father. That's what he came to do. Will you get a house when you die? Yes. I hope you do, and I hope it's bad. In a good way, you know. Yeah. But we sing songs and we, and we create doctrine and theology based on what's going to happen when we die and we live every day in hell right here on earth. You really think Jesus came to marry time and eternity so that he could say one day you're going to get a really nice house if you're good enough? Are we not beyond that? This baby is what God looks like. This baby is what God sounds like. His birth opened a portal by which all the goods of his Father's eternal kingdom could be manifested in time. That's a powerful statement. I think I'll say it again. His birth opened a portal by which all of the goods of his Father's eternal kingdom could be manifested in time. His birth signaled the end of the great divide. His birth was the bridge that spanned the great gulf. His birth was the answer to all questions and he was, birth was the question to all answers. His birth brought heaven to earth, and it has never left. He walked with his disciples one day, and his disciples says, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, okay, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Did he say, if you're good enough one day when you die? No. The mandate of the New Covenant Church is not to get a house out there in the sky one day. Here's the mandate. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom is the royalty, the rule, the realm, and the reign of God. Look it up. It's in your lexicon. The kingdom, thy kingdom. Your rule come. Your royalty come. Your realm come. The heavenly realm come. Your reign come. As in heaven, so in earth. This is what you're to ask for. Does anybody in here, in fact, I could just about poll every church in America, and I would say, in heaven is there sickness, and in unison, everyone would say, no. But what we've done is relegated that to someday, some, some glad morning. But it's not relegated to some glad morning. Jesus said, pray this way, thy kingdom, which is thy realm, come in earth as it is in heaven. If in heaven there's no sickness, your right is to have no sickness in earth. If in heaven there's no division, your right in earth is to have no division. If in heaven there's no separation in earth, it is not only your right, but your responsibility and your mandate to declare as it is in heaven, so in earth. In heaven, I'm not sick. So in earth, I declare. The facts might be I'm sick, but the truth says I'm healed because by his stripes I'm healed. The facts might be I'm living broken, but the truth is he came to restore all things and reconcile all things unto himself, so I'm going to let him be the restorer. I don't see how this ain't good news. 
My God, if, if everybody actually believed that one day you get a big house when you die and that's the best we could do, then why do the people try to live long? Just hurry up and get it over with. Yes, you can get your house. And I hope you get it. I really, really, really do. I'm not against any of that. What I'm against is saying everything that Jesus came and died and paid for was so you can have a really nice house one day in streets of gold. I'm not for that. I believe in an actual literal heaven. I believe in an actual literal place. I believe in an actual literal now too. And I believe that Jesus was the marriage of the eternal with the temporal. He was the marriage of all things in heaven with all things earth. In fact, he was the birthing of the new heaven and the new earth. That's not somewhere out there. He was bringing it here. He said, boys, look, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of heaven's at hand. It comes not with observation. You're not going to step back and say, oh, there's the kingdom. No, the kingdom's at hand. It's here. It comes out with observation. By the way, those are the red words. His birth brought heaven to earth and it has never left. This is how God chose to be manifested, reunited forever with man by becoming a man. What a beautiful mystery. God through Jesus reconciled the world to himself. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God, through Jesus, reconciled the world to himself. Not was so mad at Jesus, he had to beat him up for a while so that he wouldn't be mad anymore. And then now, way, we get to go into the kingdom. No, God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world unto himself. He said, here's the way back to the garden. What did Jesus say? You've heard me say this a few times. Jesus said, I am the what? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the, and the life. Here's the context. His disciples are with him after his resurrection. And he says, I'm going away now. And they were absolutely mortified. First of all, they're overjoyed because the one that we walked with for three and a half years, that we believe, that Peter stood up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now he's saying, by the way, boys, I'm about to leave you. And they said, what? We just got you back. And he said, don't worry, I'm going to prepare a way. Well, what is the way? He said, you know the way. How could we possibly know the way? And Jesus looked at him and said, I am the way and the truth. And the life. If you go back and read when Adam left the garden, there was, the Bible says, a flaming cherub with, or a cherub with a flaming sword put there to guard the way to the tree of life. The reason that Adam and Eve left the garden, that they lost their way, is because they believed a lie. What's the opposite of lie? The truth. What was the lie? You have to do something to be like God. The serpent said, Hath God said, that when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. God knows that you will not surely die. But in the day that you eat of the fruit of the knowledge uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. I know I'm having a quote a little bit because I know it's late. You'll be like God. He said you have to do something to be like God. When the Bible clearly says the man was made in his image and after his likeness. The truth is you don't have to do a thing to be like God. You were made like God. The lie is I've got to do something to become like God. So that was the lie. And what is the tree of life? Perfect communion with the Father. So Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the way to get back through the flaming cherubim. I'm the truth that's going to undo the lie that the serpent told. And the tree of life is, follow me, and you'll have perfect communion with the Father just like I do. Because I don't do anything Father doesn't tell me. And I don't, I don't say anything I don't hear him say. Boy, it's really quiet today. I got another message I probably should have preached today. It's uh, seven ways to a seven-day free vacation in the Bahamas. I'm saving that one for next week because I, I know that will get some good response. 
That's prophecy. Oh, he, I stole it from him. He ain't here no more. <laughs> this little baby, this is what God looks like. This little baby, this is what God sounds like. The Bible says that Jesus, the King James Version says, Jesus was the express image of God. He literally was everything God ever wanted to say about himself. It didn't come through Moses, and it didn't come through David, and, it didn't come, and all that's good because all of it points towards, but it points towards. You must learn to read your Bible through the lens of the life of Jesus, or you can make an excuse for a whole lot of bad stuff, including slavery, uh, misogyny. There's a whole lot of things you can make an excuse for unless you read the Bible through the lens of the life of Jesus. And when you read the Bible through that lens, then you can see, oh, all of that. He said, look, all of the law and all the prophets pointed to me. feel like I'm in deep now. That's what he, boys, all the law and the prophet point to me. What did Jesus do? Did he, did he distribute evil for evil? No. When, remember they brought the, the, the woman who was caught in adultery? I love the fact that the priest caught her in adultery. It means the priest probably knew where she did what she had to do to commit adultery, which means they were probably adulterers themselves. And they bring this woman, they throw her down at Jesus' feet and say, Moses says in the law we are to take this woman and stone her. What do you say? You know what Jesus did? And he looked up and he said, He he who among you is without sin, you get to throw the first stone. Now the woman's still laying at his feet, crying, thinking she's about to die. And Moses the Bible says this is what's supposed to happen. Not could happen, this is what you're supposed to do. You take this woman out, you take her out of the city walls, and you stone her until she dies. That's Bible. <laughs> then he kneels down again, he writes in the dirt again. And then he looks at the woman and says, Woman, where are your accusers? She had to look up because she was so ashamed of what had happened, ashamed of the life she had led that... He, he has to lift her head up, and he looks at her, and he says, Woman, where are your accusers? And she had to look up, and she turned around and said, Oh, my God, they're gone. I don't have any. And Jesus said, I don't accuse you either. I don't condemn you either. Moses and the law would have condemned you. Jesus in the New Covenant says, I don't condemn you. And then he said something that was not a command to, a command to obedience, but it was, a, it was a freeing voice that said, Now go and sin no more. You don't, what, he's, what, he did, what, what he didn't say was, now if you go do it again, you sorry wretch, you're gonna get, then you're going to get stoned. You only get one, one try with me. No, what he said was, now go and be free. Go and be free. Go and be free. Go and sin no more. You don't, that was a mistaken identity. You're not an adulterous woman. What he literally did was, he took her from being an adulterous woman and showed her who she really was, which can be found in Proverbs 31. Because the virtue of God came through Jesus Christ, went into that woman, and an adulterous woman became a virtuous woman, just like that. He's everything that the Father wanted to say about himself. He's not just fully God. I want to say this and I'll let you guys go. He's fully human. He didn't show us just what God looks like, but he wanted to show us what we're supposed to look like. And here's what we're supposed to look like. 
When someone's brought to us and they're falling in whatever their thing is, it's, we're not to stand with rocks of judgment and say, I'm going to wear you out. We're to say, hey, there's no condemnation now. To those that walk after this, there's no condemnation. We love you. We, you're accepted. You're accepted in the beloved. You're, we absolutely want you to be. You don't condemn. Anybody that sits in the seat of the judge, you've judged yourself already. He didn't just come to show us what God looked like. He came to show us what we were supposed to look like. Loving and forgiving. How many people in here have never made a mistake? Not one ever. Well, you better be thankful for the work of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Are you thankful for the work of Jesus? I want you to think about that. This Advent, this is what, December 8th? This is December. A year ago today, we got 16 inches of snow. Thank God that that sun is out there today. <laughs> Remember that? 16 inches of snow. It was nice. But it stunk because it was our second week here and we couldn't even have church service here. 15 more days. I'm sorry, 17 more days leading up to Christmas. What I want you to do is think of what his birth means, not just historically. And not just in the story and not just gifts and prayer. What, is it, what does it mean to us? I really believe it wasn't just God revealing what God looked like. I honestly believe the reason he was fully God and fully man is because he wanted to reveal what we're supposed to look like. Not just how God acts towards sin. How are we supposed to act towards what we call sinners? Jesus came to show us how to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus came to make us pure in heart because the pure in heart will see God. He didn't just show us the Father. He showed us what sons and daughters are supposed to look like. When you, you, the next 17 days, at least, you should think every day, how can I look like Jesus looks? And the way you look like Jesus looks is you treat people the way Jesus treated them. He always treated people in a way that they did not deserve. And yet he considered them worthy. So when somebody offends you or somebody says something or somebody irks you the wrong way, you forgive them, you love them. That's a hard thing to do, but it's what Jesus looks like. What a unique service today. <laughs> this was a very unique service. My dad used to say all the time, and I shared the sentiment, I, I, I'm, I don't have any, any interest in church as usual. Coming in, singing some fast songs, singing some slow songs, you know, seeing if I can use fear to manipulate you to come up here and pray and then take a picture real quick so we can show how successful the ministry is. I don't have any interest in that. What I want to do is if you never come back in these doors, I want these words to ring in your heart and ears and say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm actually made in the image of God. And I'm to love people the way that Jesus loved people, which means you love everybody the same. The ones you deem worthy and the ones you know for a fact are unworthy. Is it just me? I think you're here because you're probably kind of tired of the whole church as usual mess too. You know, what if church as usual was people walking in with sickness and they leave healed? Because that's what church as usual should be. What if church as usual was broken people coming in being made whole and sick people being made healed and you, you fill in your own blanks? That's what the kingdom looks like. Father, <clears throat> excuse me, 
thank you for your word today. Thank you for your spirit and presence. I thank you that because of your work, we can boldly come into the throne. The throne is called grace. We can come to the throne of unmerited favor. We come to the throne of divine enabling because of your work. Because we come to the throne of grace boldly as sons and daughters, then we have no fear when we ask you to work on our behalf and to do things on our behalf. It is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom, your Bible says. And the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If it's your good pleasure to give us that, let us see a manifestation of righteousness in this week. Let us see the manifestation of your peace in this week. Your peace that passes understanding. Your joy. Let us see a manifestation of your joy this week. Not happiness. Happiness is determined by happenings. But joy is there even when everything seems to be falling around us. And it's that way because we judge you faithful, the one that's promised. Thank you for your spirit and presence. Thank you for this season we celebrate your birth. Not just as a natural event, but as an eternal event, marrying time and eternity forever. The merging of two worlds. The opening of heaven that's never been shut ever since. The portal by which all the goods and blessing and services of the kingdom are administrated through your people to the people of the earth. Help us to take our responsibility as ambassadors of your kingdom very seriously. Our responsibility as ambassadors, we are your representatives in the earth. Thank you for restoring marriages. Thank you for restoring, uh, making those that are sick whole. Thank you for uh, restoring financial prosperity. I thank you for the testimonies that we heard even today of the restoration financially, Father. I just, I just bless you and thank you for how good you are. That we're beginning to see the fruit uh, of your works in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for this day, for the opportunity to come and commune together with you and with each other. Help us as we go this week, Father, that we would keep you at the center, that you would be our bullseye, Father. Our focus would not be on promises, broken or unbroken, but our, prom our focus would be on you. And if we focus on you, we know the promise comes in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.